So nobody knows um, how God destroyed Sodom. You don't know if he, um, you know, like rain, fire, and sulfur down. What did that look like? People describe it in different ways. Some people describe it like a nuclear blast. You know, that there's a shock wave that carries over. And that's why the angel said, get past the mountains, you know, so you're protected from that blast. Uh, did he did he turn the earth over and over? Did he just, just zap it and turn it upside down, like plowing the field? We don't know. We know that uh, it's very difficult to find any evidence, archaeological evidence of that place. Many speculate it's in the bottom of the Dead Sea. Um, but I wanted you to have this visual in your mind as we go into the study of Sodom and the destruction of Sodom because of the scale of this destruction where the, you know, literally the, the, it's just turned over. I mean, like when you're plowing a field and you're taking that clot of dirt and you're flipping it. I mean, nobody knows, but I mean, I wanted you to just really get the, the worst possible image in your mind of, of what that would be like. Yes, sir. Mr. Roy. If I recall, and my memory don't serve me always wonderfully, but um, didn't it say it didn't only destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but the cities around it? Does it not say that somewhere? That's a great point. It says something similar to that. It's uh, it, it depends on how you read the text, and I'm glad you asked that question because we have a Bible study coming up for the next couple of weeks where you get to dig into the text and we can answer all these questions. Um, the other cities of the plain were destroyed. Um, and um, we'll get into those five primary uh, kings that were part of the Confederacy of Sodom. And they came against five kings that were part of the fallen ones. And we'll look at that. That's one of the, that's your homework for this week. That's chapter 13 or 14, I forget, of, of, of Genesis is, is chapter 13 and you, or 14. You get to look at that. And then... Um, and we will look at that. The cities were all destroyed. And it wasn't just Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a group of cities. Zoar was one. They got destroyed. Now, that's way of introduction. Now, the next thing I need to bring to your attention is um, going to be slightly more alarming. Um, and let me just set this up. So um, this is a young man. I'm getting ready to show you who's at a school board meeting in the state of Maine. And he's reading from a book that he checked out at the school library to show his dad. Um, and he read at the school board meeting. And the language was so graphic and the content was so pornographic that YouTube took it off of their platform. And when he was doing it, the librarian asked, you like this book? We've got more like it. Would you like to have some more? Uh, I bring this to you just so you can know where we are. Culturally, um, we can take off, take a clothes off. And he said yes before I finish my sentence. He's pulling off my t shirt, laughing, and I can't undo the shirt buttons. He's undoing my belt. I'm reaching into his bedside drawer for a condom. You can see where this is going. But this reminds me so much of the first time we had sex. We were both terrified. Now, this book was at my middle school and it was on a stand. When I rented it out to show my dad it, uh, the librarian asked if I wanted more and if I wanted a graphic novel. That was an 11-year-old from Maine speaking at his local school board meeting. Wow. That's your country. No, that's their country. That's my country. So, um, <clears throat> all right, so now uh, let me get to my notes because I've got two more for you. Um, 
Got one more. Hold on, let me. Uh, well, I can't with this. So the book he's reportedly reading from is called Nick and Charlie, about two early teen boys who steal wine and then sexually experiment with each other. And he checked it out of the school's library. The teacher unions and school districts have deemed classic literature racist, but sexually explicit books for children are okay. The degradation of education is why we started PragerU Kids. Join us, PragerUKids.com. All right. News of the week. What this is. So that was the news of the week. The school shooting at the Christian school by the transgender girl, young lady. Um, and then the news media doesn't really want to um, talk about all that. Um, doesn't really want to talk about that because it doesn't fit the narrative they have um, or what they like for the world, how they want the world to look. Um, the um, next thing I bring to you is uh, local. Let's see here. And um, that is something that ha- happened locally, right? Um, yep. So so the, there was this day of vengeance that was planned for yesterday at the Supreme Court of the United States. It was canceled because they felt threatened. Yeah. The ones that went out and shut up the school felt threatened. So they didn't have it because there might be violence, even though the name of the organization's day is a day of violence, a day of vengeance. So, I mean, that's how upside down our world is. Um, the And there's a link to that in your notes. Um, the um, uh, Wednesday, so I've got two more things for you. On Wednesday, Kentucky's Republican-controlled state legislature um, overruled overrode the Democrat governor Andy Bashir's veto, passing a law that prevents discussion of gender identity with students of all ages and bans transgender medical treatments for minors. West Virginia passed a similar law, but allows for hormone therapy for children who are at risk of self-harm or suicide, and the transgender advocacy groups are protesting and have promised lawsuits. And then the next piece of news for us is the local example of the math and science school on Wapu Road here in Charleston County, where the music teacher told his students this week that he was no longer be called he but she because he was going to transition into being a woman. The parents became aware of this when they received the robocall from Charleston County School District saying, if your child has experienced any kind of trauma from the events of today, please know we have counselors on hand that can speak to them about these issues. Without telling the parents what had happened, they had to get through the grapevine to hear what had really happened. So it's here. It's in our midst. It's all around us. Um, And so when Jesus says it would be as it was in the days of Lot, I'm pretty sure we're in the days of Lot right now. I don't know how much more like Lot it can get than where we are right now. Well, we have to see two angels come here and walking in the city, you know. Well, yeah. Uh, then, then we'll know. <laughs> yeah, when we, see, when we see the two witnesses in Jerusalem, yeah, we're, we're there, no question about it. Um, so what I want to do is um, we want to let the Bible speak for the Bible. So we're going to look at um, the passages regarding this that Jesus spoke of. We're going to focus mainly in Luke chapter 17, which is, uh, yes, ma'am. They're after the kids. You know, this is, they're, you know, bringing it into the school. They're, you know, and if the kids don't bring it back to the parents. Mom and dad don't know. 
Well, it's like the boy that checked the book out at the library, school library. His parents didn't know what was in the school library. They don't, I mean, unless they go there, very few parents go to school libraries. But the librarians know. And but there were other articles about that. I mean, you can look it up. I mean, it's amazing the 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 amount of money being spent in public school libraries right now for books like this um, to be put on shelves. And what that lady said about they are saying that Shakespeare is now bad. You can't study Shakespeare in school because Shakespeare is bad. You can't read any Mark Twain because that's very bad. And all these um, other aspects of of great English literature, not just American literature, those are being pushed aside, and and they're bad. But this other stuff is good. So we're going to bring that in and we're going to let your kids read that. It's really sad. Yes, where you can't distinguish between art and pornography. And um, and that's the that's the issue is that the reason and reasonableness and understanding is is left. And that's what we'll see in the testimony of Scripture today. Um, so let's look at this. Let's look at Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 24 through 30. Uh, this is focusing on the, the days of Lot. Jesus also said, as it was in the days of Noah, there's some very distinct correlations and connections between these uh, two men, the cultures and the worlds and societies they lived in. And I'm just going to start there in verse 24. For just as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so will the Son of Man uh, in his day. So will it be for the Son of Man in his day. So can you chase lightning? It's very quick. It's very quick, yeah. So this is some imagery, huh? Isn't Jesus using some dramatic imagery here, you know, of describing his day as a flash of light, of lightning? Um, those who are advocates for the for the rapture, I would look at this and say this is a, a strong evidence to that idea of, of the coming return of Christ, the, the rapidness um, and as fast as lightning. And then verse 26, just as it was in the days, was in Noah's time, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. So life goes on just as it always will, as if it had never changed. And there's just, uh, says there will never be a day of reckoning for the people that you've harmed and hurt in life. And, um, Verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. All creation is declaring the glory of God. Psalm 19.1, Romans 1 and 20. Um, the same way that all creation is pointing us to a maker, all of Scripture is pointing us to Jesus. This idea that he is the fullness of the Godhead in flesh and blood, like it says in Colossians 1.19 and 2.29. Now, similarly... Jesus uses living examples of the culture of Noah and the culture of not as Lot as a signpost, right? And so as, a, as we go along the avenue of time, these two uh, examples point us to the return of Christ. Now, they are not. So what's a sign do? A sign is not the thing you're looking for. The sign points to the thing you're looking for. When you're going down the road, you see the sign for south of the border, the sign, as entertaining as it may be, is not south of the border, the billboard, right? But as you get closer, you know we've made it. This is south of the border. The other stuff was just a signpost directing you to where it is. And that's the same thing happening here. So Jude tells us, uh, the brother of Jesus, tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah were living examples for us of the snare to avoid. In verse uh, Jude 1-7, he says this, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities 
about them, like you were talking about, Mr. Roy, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. So it's not just homosexuality, it's misuse of sexuality and going after strange flesh, which indicates not just homosexuality, but also intermingling with uh, angelic flesh. And that's in our text. We'll see that as we go through our study in Genesis Uh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. People were eating, verse 27, back to Luke. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. It's important to remember that the ark um, was a means of escaping the coming judgment. And that um, the ark, interestingly, is a vessel made of wood. Um, And it's also covered in atonement because when you look at the word there in hebrew where it says that god told noah to cover the inside and the outside of the ark in pitch that word in hebrew and the rest of the old testament is always translated atonement except for this one time now look at this image that jesus that's being built here this vessel by which you will escape the coming judgment of God is a structure made of wood. Now, next Sunday, we're going to celebrate a vessel, a structure made of wood, by which the vessel of our salvation was our eternal atonement, our forgiveness, which protects us inside and out from the judgment of sin to come. Secondly, the ark was built over 120 years. Now, at this time, God says that the days of man will be 120 forward and after the ark you'll see that uh, rapidly everyone's age lifespan shrinks dramatically and they even off at that 120 mark so there's two places in scripture you can have three score and 10 or you can have 120 i guess you get to pick which one you want most people are picking these days three score and 10 a few are going for the 120 but there's two promises to your lifespan so here's the deal these people had a lifetime of hearing the message of Noah, of seeing the work being done, of having the opportunity to be called in and be a part of that, and nobody joined in. None of them did. And that's how it is today. We all have a lifetime to learn about God, to learn about our coming judgment and our, upon our death, and to learn about the means of our salvation and escape from that judgment. And if we aren't willing to receive that, then we enter into that judgment when it comes. Now, it's either going to come like the movie we saw with Sodom and Gomorrah and the fire raining down and the earth getting torn up, or it's going to come when you uh, once upon your life, when you are dead and you have to meet God for your judgment. We're appointed once to die. And after that, the judgment, Hebrews nine twenty seven, Verse 28 of Luke 17. And this is the thing that really hit me because uh, a couple of weeks ago, I heard a pastor mention this about the days of Lot. And I said, days a lot. There's no days a lot. It's all days of Noah. And yes, one of those things that that Bible's got all kinds of stuff written in it, right? And you just go right past it sometimes. But there it is, verse 26. So it was in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Life and living just goes on day after day after day without any regard what happens. There's life with no meaning, no purpose. You're just living. You're just all about me and myself and my needs and my fulfillment and my acquisition and what I get to get out of life. And then verse 29, but on the day when Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven 
and destroyed them all. In verse 30, the day when the Son of Man is revealed will be like that. Yes, sir. When they did the first nuclear test in uh, in New Mexico, the ground underneath it created a, a brand new course, sort of a glassine kind of stuff from, from the stones and stuff. They've discovered that very same stuff at Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> a little heat there. The other thing I would say there is, is whole books have been written about what does this mysterious name of Jesus, of the Son of Man, and in this text, the Son of Man, when he comes like lightning, that's a very glorious uh, uh, description of who he really is. It's, that's the godly end of it. But Jesus always takes the lowly of the Son of Man uh, to emphasize that he's also one of us. Um, and so Son of Man is who is who he is ruling in heaven. Our, our man, Jesus, <laughs> is in charge. So Yes, that's very good. Thank you. So uh, the lives of Noah and Lot and their cultures that they lived in um, are repeatedly offered to us as examples, um, warning examples before judgment. Bless you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it says this. These things happen to them to serve as an example that they were written down as a warning for us in whom the culmination of the ages has been attained. So these things that happened in the past were written down as warning for us. And that's true of all scripture. So all the scripture we see is, is an example. Somebody else in another time experienced something that we're, some of us will experience in our lifetime and helps us know how to live, live, live with it, live through it, deal with it, what to do, what's the right answer, what's the wrong answer. And that's how it is. Did somebody have a comment? Well, I, I would just, yes, sir. I was just thinking of something where I want to say I might have been a little askew and need to come back to something closer to the thing. When I hear and see examples like you presented here, when we know we're in the days of Lot and stuff, and and like you said, these things were written for our example so that we don't do this, and then the vengeance comes. I'm afraid that I feel in my flesh that, Lord, bring your vengeance on them. You know, this is horrible. This is bad. This is not good. This is not what you intended. But I but I need to maybe come back to the center and say, they're still your people. You still love them. You still want them to be saved. And I think I lose a lot of that and err more on to... All this evil needs to stop, but then yet these are the people of the world and the sin we hate and we got to love the sinner and stuff. And I, and I feel like so much in me sometimes wants that vengeance to come <laughs> stop sure. this and all that. But then I got to remember that we need to love people as Jesus loved them too. Yes, sir. Pastor D. Yeah. I, I, I agree with Roy. If you know someone or have someone in your family that fall into that group of people, uh, it gives us a whole different life. Now, the life that it gives us 
needs to be the light where there's some way I got to share with him. There's some way that I need to be an instrument of God's Holy Spirit to bring them back. I can't do away with their inner feelings, but to bring them back to the Lord so that they don't act on their inner feelings. Uh, and I think so often we spend so much time in what are we going to do with these people? You know, how are we going to shut them up uh, when we, well, we need to shut them up, but uh, when we need to see ourselves as God's instrument that those who are living in the days of Lot would hear the uh, the gospel in a way that would yeah, and I think that really is the we're gonna Peter's got some we're gonna next thing we're gonna look at is gonna be second Peter chapter two, about fourteen or sixteen verses, which is a rather disturbing passage. Um good deals all with this. So that what y'all are saying is right. So the the will of God is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Now, um sadly, all will not come to repentance. But our job, like you're saying, that you know, these things are happening to these people because they are seeking happiness and they're seeking it in all the pl- wrong places. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking that this is going to fulfill them and, and bring them to happiness. Um, God does not call us to happiness. God calls us to holiness. And within that holiness, we find a meaning and a purpose and an explanation for life and understanding of what happens around us. Yes, sir also directed at us um, as a pastor uh, and I'm bringing uh, baptizing some of my nieces and nephews and those guys I'll never bring those kids to church uh, you know it's it's hard um, because they're looking at baptism as fire insurance that is to say I don't have to do anything about it um, in second uh, Corinthians the 10th chapter um Paul addresses that and says, all these people went through the Red Sea and they were baptized in the water. And nevertheless, God was not pleased with them and their corpses were strewn over the desert. Let this be a warning to you, uh, especially the Corinthians who were running down to the red light district saying, you know, uh, God is saved. It doesn't matter what, what, uh, what I do now with my life. Um, and, um, so, it raises the question urgently of how shall I understand my that God has elected me, that God has chosen me? And I would say this as an as a as a as short an answer as I can give you as a pastor that struggled with this for 50 years. Election is not an abstraction. Election is a dynamic. Every time you hear God's word, he calls you and he lures you. It's 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 a constant ongoing thing. And we attend to his voice and we listen to his word and he keeps reassuring us. If you go away from that word, you begin to drift into doubt and unbelief. So these words are written for us as warning, and not just for the, the godless country that we live in, but also for us to continue to attend to God's word, stay close to the good shepherd, and then you won't be in danger because you're always in danger as a sheep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact the first um, Corinthians, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Jeremiah, Galatians. Which which scripture are we working on? Because <laughs> that's in you missed it. That's in, every, <laughs> that's in every letter. But I I need to maybe to let them at least hear you play the once or twice. So yeah, and that's in every single letter. Yeah, it is. It's all through. 
And that's, you know, and the reason it's in every single letter is because all of scripture is calling people to know who Jesus is, to find their forgiveness and escape the judgment. And so if you, when you look at your Bible study, the first question on your Bible study is before we condemn others, let us examine ourselves. And so that's the important thing. So there's this warning is, is twofold. It's not just for them out there, but it's also for us in here. Miss Rosemary, you have something. Yeah, he mentioned baptism there, and I, I guess I'm, I'm there, too. But as a grandparent, I, I think for an adult, uh, we recognize the baptismal birthday of our granddaughter. And it's like, what? And, you know, so that brings, brought the whole question in and got to talking about it. So I think, you know... We as adults should recognize even our baptism birthday and not just our natural birth birthday, but the baptismal and that will get questions and talking and stuff. And that really is the that really is our job. Remember, yours is not to save, yours is opportunity. You are supposed to bring opportunity to people to engage and learn more about God and help them in their life. Because we're not going to save anybody. We just give them the opportunity to have that conversation and have that discussion and learn. Yes, sir. You have to deal with our thinking. Uh, grace loves Jeopardy. Uh, yes. And we're watching it, and she'll say, oh, that guy's a homosexual. Or that guy. There's something in our mind when she says that is, uh, I hope they don't lose. I hope they don't win. And it just goes through us where we can see people on television or, or or on the streets or whatever it may be. And we need to deal with that too when we're talking about us reaching out to people. Mm-hmm. We have to put an end to that thinking in my life. I've got to protect the word of the Lord by refusing to make judgment on people like that. And I think, I don't know, we we do. I don't know if everybody else does, but uh, we have to put an end to that in our lives. So, um, so the issue, I think, for me, is that culture is so saturated right now with the advocacy. Um, but beyond the advocacy, it's the forced celebration of all of this. And I think that's a distinction. I think if someone is competing in the arena, and they're talented, and they're the better player, and they win, then congratulations. But what really gets me is the, is the, is the forcing this uh, idea and these ideas on, like you're saying, Rosemary, the children. Um, that's what's very, very wrong. And it's, um, we're, and let, let's get into the scripture because that's going to answer, that's going to tell us where to go. Turn to the end of the book, go to Second Peter, bless you. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to be reading from the Berean Literal Bible. Yeah, did you know there was such a thing? It's a good translation. And we're going to go through this and we can stop and talk. So if something catches you as you're reading through it, just throw your hand up and we'll start. We'll stop and we'll start a conversation. Okay. So second Peter chapter two, verses one through 14. This is in my, in this translation is uh, titled deliverance from false prophets. Now, before we start with this, understand false prophets. Who is a false prophet? Anybody that says it's not Lord. anybody that says Jesus is not Lord, and I would, yeah, that's a big one. Yep. Yeah. So, so anyone who is anyone who is propagating untruths, 
is a false prophet. And for me, um, I have to challenge myself when I hear things from people, either on the news or social media or just in conversation, to try and listen with a good ear so that I do not become the voice of the false prophet repeating things that are not true. All right. Deliverance from false prophets. Chapter one, uh, verse one starts like this. But there were also false prophets among the people as there will be as future. That's us. False teachers among you also. And what do they do? Who will stealthily introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master, having bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Can you think of any stealthily introduced destructive heresies in our culture today? What, you got one there? What you got, Ms. Sheila? (laughs) (laughs) But it started with stealth. It started with stealth. Yeah, it is very much so. So you think about these poor children in schools who do not know the difference and they're being told these things which are destroy- destroying them. Yes, sir. And stealthiness might be the fact that the pandemic showed it was stealthy going on. People were involved in children now home. You're studying. And that began, I think it was stealthy before that, with a year after the pandemic exploded. Yeah, I think you're right about that one, Glenn. I think that the I think that the the pandemic brought all that out into the open. Let's look at verse two. Here's here's I think what he's talking about. And many will follow after their sensuality. That's certainly in our culture today, right? Yes. Through whom the way of the truth will be maligned. Now I didn't play or show you some of the stuff from the transgender people. They don't like Christians at all. There's a reason that that Christian school was targeted. There's a reason the pastor's child was shot. There's a reason the pastor was shot. They do not like the truth that Christians bring to them. Even when we bring it in love, they still don't like it. Verse two, and many will follow after their sensuality through whom, excuse that's verse two. Let's go to verse three. And through covetousness, they will exploit you with fabricated words. Let's think about some fabricated words in our culture today. Has anyone heard a new pronoun lately? A new pronoun? I mean, there's a whole, one of my children had to take a whole class on this to get their diploma from tech. Take a whole class on how you talk to people, how you address people, all the pronouns, what they're, when you're supposed to use them. What's right and what's wrong about that? How about um, new genders? Is that a fabricated word? All right. For whom the judgment of long ago is not idle and their destruction does not slumber. Verse four. For if God did not spare the angels having sinned, but having cast them down to Tartarus in chains of gloomy darkness and delivered them being kept for judgment. Verse five. And he did not spare the ancient world. But preserve Noah. And what was Noah? A herald of righteousness. One of eight. Some of your translations may say a preacher of righteousness. One of eight. 
having brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Verse six, and he condemned, that's a capital H, condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction, having reduced them to ashes, having set an example of what is coming on the ungodly. There it is. Sodom and Gomorrah and all their stuff that happened to them was the example for us. Verse seven, and he, again, capital H, and we're going to dig into this. You'll be really fascinated as to who that he is when you get to Genesis chapter 19. Got two weeks on that one. And he rescued evil, wicked, adulterous, sensual lot. Does your virgin say that? It doesn't. What does it say? Righteous lot. And he rescued righteous lot. Now, when you see righteousness attributed to someone, the righteousness of people is equivalent to dirty, rotten, nasty rags, right? So then if you've got someone who has true righteousness, as lot is being described here, that righteousness comes from God the same way my righteousness comes from God through Christ, which is the reason I think that you're going to meet Lot one day in heaven and have a long conversation with him about what was that like? And you. What was the righteous man? Yes. Didn't he want to give one of his daughters so that? You're a spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. So no, Lot is. So we're gonna we're gonna dig into that because this is when I when I brought up when this idea came to me about a study of the days a lot. I thought it would be just today, but then as I started digging into it, I began to realize there's so much meat here that we can't just make this a one session event. So we're going to have probably three more sessions on this. And that's, and I want you all to do some, I really want you to do some Bible study on your own before these classes. And that's why I've sent out these Bible studies for you. You need to see that Lot was a progressive. And what I mean by that is that Lot began in a godly home. Abraham was his daddy in all essential purposes. He was raised in that home. The, the biggest example of faith we really, I think, probably have, you could argue in the Bible. He was raised in that home. And what happened to Lot? How did he go from being under the, under the shadow of Abraham, under that household, under that roof, to where at the end, it's like you're saying, he's just compromised on every front, giving his daughters away? I mean, it, it gets really bad. I mean, I've said this, it's on your notes. It says this Bible study is not for young audiences. And this is not a Bible study for young audiences because it gets very troubling as you look at the example of life. Beginning, Abram said, you want to go here, you want to go there. And he said, I'll take the city. I'll take the fun. I'll take the, the easy way. Yeah, the beautiful plains on the River Jordan. Looks like Eden. I'll go. It's not a Bible study for young children. But look what young children are learning in school. So why would it not be a bottle for young children if you can instruct them in your home? You make a good point. You make a good point. I guess I would just have to say that as a warning to to people that this is uh, the same way they have the graphic material in the schools for these children. This is a graphic material, except this is not advocacy. This is warning. And I guess that would be the difference. Verse seven, and he rescued righteous lot being distressed. Some of your versions say vexed by the conduct in sex sensuality of the lawlessness. In verse eight, for the righteous man dwelling among them 
this is this day after day was tormented in his righteous soul. So you think about our culture today and how depraved it is. And when you see these stories in the news, like I brought to you, or you, you know, you're at the grocery store and you're, you're checking out and you're looking at the, the magazine covers. It's really something else through seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And that affects us. Even when we try and resist it, it still filters in. And what's the example in verse nine, then the Lord knows to deliver the devout out of temptation and to keep the unrighteous being punished unto the day of judgment. Now I put a little note here that um, is this our hope for escape from the coming effects of of his judgment? I'll read the verse again and we can talk about it. Then the Lord is talking about how Lot and and Noah were both rescued from judgment. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the devout out of temptation, that's your daily living, and to keep the unrighteous uh, being punished unto the day of judgment. So is that our hope for escape? Do you think we will escape? God judges all sin eventually. Either he does it individually where the sinners are wiped out, or he does it like in the case of Sodom, where this is too much and they just all got to go. I don't know. I would like to hope there's an escape for us, but I don't know. I think um, judgment is always there, and the wrath of God is always there. It is assuaged by his mercy and his forgiveness, and he has made a way, and Christ is the way. So he, he there is a way. Don't turn back. Don't look back. Don't, don't compromise. You have found the way. Follow after it. For a, a righteous judgment is coming on the world. And it's it's righteous. But he has made a way. God has placed judgment on all sin. Yes. Whether we know it or not. Right. When we walk contrary to the word of God, we're going to find the judgment of God on us. We might not realize it. Right. God, but a lot of times we do realize it. Yes. So which, is, which is why you turn back. Can a man hold hot coals in his hands and not be burned? There is a judgment on everybody in this room. And the judgment is sin. Uh, The judgment is death or the penalty of sin. There's nobody in this room that's going to get away. Death is coming to us all. It's coming quickly for some and for some. You don't know when, but that judgment has already been decreed and it will come. However, God has made a way. And you, if you're born again, if you have accepted Christ, if you have turned to God and said, I want a way out, save me, Lord. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. I'm the door. I'm the living bread. I'm the living water. I'm the I'm the one and only way. Come to me. All you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He has made that way. If we have received him, then this body, which was conceived in sin, will perish. But we who are born again will not. Yeah, we will live forever. And it's a temporal judgment. Yes. Let's see. Uh, and he was talking about eternal judgment. Right. And that's the thing. Oh, I thank you all for your discussion on that. Yes, sir. I just want to add that um, if I'm understanding a bit what you're saying, you're talking about judgment, God judges, but. Yes, that's all true, but in the in the here and the now, 
um, there's consequences to sin, yes. even here. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's a judgment, but yet, you know, if you do something stupid and you go do wrong things or something, there are consequences right. also, you know, even as we walk now, not the final judgment. Have sex and you might get pregnant. Right. Have sex with somebody who's not well and you might get sick. Kill somebody and you might go to jail for Yes, life. there are there are earthly consequences. Physical consequences, emotional consequences, and that's what we love in this in the present church to deal with. Everybody's hurt, everybody's got, you know, something, and that's true. And we need to meet those, but to meet them with philosophy and vain philosophy and not meet them with the gospel, there's not going to solve their problem. They will be limping along through life, waiting for an eternal judgment, while the consequences of their earthly behavior come out. And they're not, and they're saying, but I got away with it. The, uh, these are just horrific examples, but the, the commercials are out right now on AIDS, telling you how you can still keep up your lifestyle, but we found pills that can, can fix it for you. And now we've got night, day after abortion pills. So you can continue with your lifestyle and not feel the, the earthly effects you think, but you are slipping. Quickly, yeah, slippery slope. Yeah. Did you have something, Rosemary? Okay, she better not. She's she's pulling the bridle. She's pulling the bridle. Verse 10. And especially those walking after the flesh in the passion of defilement and despising authority. Bold. And what's the homosexual music co- movement called? What's it called itself? Proud. We're pride. Pride, yes, we're talking about pride, self-willed. They do not tremble, blaspheming, glorious ones. Verse 11, whereas angels, being greater in strength and power, do not bring against them a reviling judgment before the Lord. But these, verse 12, like irrational animals. Think about today's culture. Logic, language, rules, truth, science, Western culture, Christianity, and more are all deemed wrong. They're being purged from colleges and universities. You know, they're, they're, they're dropping the uh, requirements to get into colleges, to get into law schools. You used to have to take the SAT and take the LSAT. You no longer have to take those uh, entrance exams to get into college because they're deemed wrong. Um, and there's just a matter of time before they do the same thing with your medical doctor. Just a matter of time. And we're going to have to change the way we decide which doctors we're going to when that happens. But you think about how prophetic these words of Peter are. But these, like irrational animals, and how many people attack logic and say truth doesn't matter. My truth is my truth. And he continues this, having been born as creatures of instinct for capture and destruction. Those are haunting words to me to think that some people have taken themselves and moved to the point of no longer being what God intended them to be. They've lost their ability to think and to reason, and they've taken on the mannerisms of an animal with just instinct and just moving through it. KJV says natural brute beast. Natural brute beast. Blaspheming in what they are ignorant of. 
And we see that with the, my word, I didn't, anyway, we see that in today in society and their destruction also will be destroyed, suffering wrong as a wage of unrighteousness, esteeming carousing in daytime as pleasure, blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, feasting with you. Have you ever seen a video of a gay pride parade? That's the description. You just read it. 2,000 years before it happened. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery. And we see that in our culture today. I mean, how many stories do you have to see about, I brought another person into my marriage and now my marriage is stronger. Like, no, it isn't. <laughs> I mean, you could you can find one of those headlines once a week. I promise you, if you look for them, it's crazy. And then you the shows on television glorify this sort of stuff. It's not good. And then verse 14, having eyes full of adultery, and unceasing from sin, enticing unestablished souls. Now think about some of my versions, they say unstable souls, unlearned souls, enticing unestablished souls. Just think about what you've seen in the news about the drag queen story hour for elementary age children. These young audiences, these young kids who are completely unaware of what's being done to them or why they're being groomed for this. So these people can can prey on them. Having a heart, having been exercised in cravings, cursed a children of a curse. And that's what Peter says about them. Now, Jesus spoke of Sodom and Gomorrah and compared them to Capernaum. I've got to wrap this up very quickly. In Matthew eleven twenty three, he makes a point that if the things that he did, the miracles he performed had been performed in Sodom and Gomorrah, the same way they performed in Capernaum. He did a lot of work in Capernaum. Sodom and Gomorrah would have never been destroyed because they would have come to repentance. Strong statement against. A very strong statement against them, isn't it? It's very strong. And I hope it's a convicting statement for us to live more of the reality and the identity of Jesus in our day-to-day going force. <clears throat> now, I don't see how we're going to be able to... Um, to go into this right now, but we, like I said, this is going to be at least three more weeks of this. So I want to just bring home to you one point from the, from the Genesis story today as we close. And here it is. God hears the cry of the afflicted. God hears the cry of the hurting. God sees the pain of people and God knows who is afflicting and hurting others. And God steps into those situations and God acts because Jesus is a personal judge. We see that when Jesus came with the two angels on their way to Sodom, he met Abraham and he said, I am going to Sodom to see for myself because I have heard their cries reached up to heaven, and I want to be a, a good judge. I want to see for myself what's been going on here. And that's how God is. He steps in and he hears. Now, fear and wisdom. We talked a little bit about this last week. In order to fear something, we must first be convinced of its existence. We talked about the fear of God. People first have to be convinced there is a God to have fear of that God. Secondly, the fear acknowledges several things. Um, he knows. 
God knows what's going on. That's one. He's all knowing. God can do something about your situation. He's all powerful. And God has the ability to intercede and inject himself upon any situation. And that's very, very important. Furthermore, this implies a level of justice, either justice for us as we're being hurt or to grant us relief. And God hears the cries of them. It said this, but then the Lord said, because the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they all that is done according to the outcry has come to me. And if not, I will know. Justice tells us we better straighten up because there's a God and he sees and something's going to happen in our behavior. God is empowering us as his creatures not to reflect the wisdom of the age. He's asking us to reflect Jesus. He's asking that we reflect God in flesh. And the cultural leaders of today say like the prophet Jeremiah, the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. And people just love the lies of Satan. And what will you do about it? People accept the lies of culture because they want them to be true. Our job as believers is to intercept them with the truth of Jesus and intercept them before they reach that point of destruction. Because it will come one day. I'll close with these two verses from Romans chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. And do this understanding the occasion. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day has drawn near. So let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. We are closer today to the return of Jesus than we were yesterday. And we should live like it. And we should reflect it on everyone. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we are so grateful for your love. Help us to reflect you. Help us to draw people into your kingdom. Please, Father, empower us. Give us situations where we can speak your truth and rescue souls who are dying. In the name of Jesus, amen.